Please remain standing and turn in your Bibles, please, to 2 Kings chapter 3. We continue our study of Kings, uh, and we will work through the whole chapter this morning. We will read verses 4 through 19. 2 Kings 3, 4. Now, Misha, king of Moab, was a sheep breeder, and he regularly paid the king of Israel 100,000 lambs, and the wool of 100,000 rams. But it happened when Ahab died that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So King Jehoram went out of Samaria at that time and mustered all Israel. Then he went and sent to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? And he said, I will go up. I am as you are. My people is your people. My horses is your horses. Then he said, which way shall we go up? And he answered, by way of the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they marched on that roundabout route seven days. And there was no water for the army, nor for the animals that followed them. And the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, What have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. But the king of Israel said to him, No, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, Surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. But now bring me a musician. And then it happened. When a musician played, that the hand of the Lord came upon him, and he said, Thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain, yet that valley shall be filled with water so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. Also, you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city and shall cut down every good tree and stop up every spring of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones. May God add his richest blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Again, our Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that you've spoken to us. And we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would come and speak to us, that we would hear the voice of Jesus Christ, our good shepherd in our hearts, and hearing his voice, that we would know him and follow him and offer our hearts to him promptly and sincerely, in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. Did you ask him? Jehoram was now king of the northern kingdom of Israel. He was the second son of Ahab and Jezebel. Uh, 
His older brother, Ahaziah, had been king when Ahab died, but you remember he died with no son. So now his little brother, Jehoram, Jehoram has become king. Now we read in this passage that Mesha, king of Moab, was a vassal of Israel. He was a sheep breeder, and he regularly paid Ahab the tribute of 100,000 uh, lambs and the wool of another 100,000 rams. But when Ahab died, he stopped payment. So now that Jehoram is king, he decides to attack Moab for their failure to pay their dues. We read that he mustered all Israel to fight. But he did not heed the words of the old song we just sang. He did not take it to the Lord in prayer when he went against Moab. We read that he gathered up Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and the king of Edom together with their troops to go with him and all Israel, but he did not consult with the Lord about his plan. And so the three confederated kings and armies got themselves into a bind. They had gone in a roundabout way, perhaps for the element of surprise through the wilderness of Edom. Perhaps like Lawrence of Arabia, you remember, attacked the port of Aqaba in 1917 by coming through the desert at the back door. But Jehoram and his allies went seven days into the wilderness, ran out of water, and found none. And like Adam so long ago and everyone since, Jehoram blamed God for his own foolishness. He exclaimed, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. But Jehoshaphat, asked him the same question he'd asked his father Ahab at another battle years before. Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? You see, they made their plans, but in all their planning, they did not inquire of the Lord. And now that they are in a pickle, Jehoshaphat realizes they better ask him. And so the question that this passage puts to us is Did you ask him? Is the Lord in our plans. I quoted this before, but we 
do well to hear it again, at least I would. Calvin said, there is not one of us in death. It's John Calvin, not Calvin Draft, but he believes it too. But John Calvin said, there is not one of us indeed who does not wish to seem throughout his life to aspire and strive after heavenly immortality. But if you examine the plans, efforts, the deeds of anyone, there you will find nothing but earth. If you examine our plans, our efforts, our deeds, you will find nothing but earth. In other words, the Lord's not in it. What about our plans? Would we find anything in our plans and efforts beyond this earth? Is the Lord in our plans? Did we ask him? Did you ask him? Let's get to it. First in this passage, we see the accessibility of God. The accessibility of God. Look at verse 11. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire the Lord by him? So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha the son of Shaphat is here who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Now Jehoshaphat here, remember he was the the king of the southern kingdom of Judah. He was a good king. And just as he had been with Ahab at the end of 1 Kings at the battle of Ramoth Gilead. Here again, he's on to something profound. The true God is an accessible God. He is a communicative God. He is a God who reveals his will and himself. Now we know the Lord is is transcendent. His glory is exalted far above the earth and sky. He is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, all of that. But he is also the God who reveals himself to us. He would be shrouded in mystery to us Creatures, except for the fact that he unshrouds himself, as it were. He reveals himself. So Jehoshaphat asks, Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire the Lord by him? And a servant replies, Yes, Elisha, who poured water on the hands of Elijah, and and notice verse 12, Jehoshaphat says, the word of the Lord is with him. That's Elisha. 
The Lord has a faithful man through whom he reveals his word. You realize we have access to the will and wisdom of God. We have his word. Scripture says in in former times he spoke in various ways by the prophets, such as Elisha. But in these latter days he's spoken to us by his son. And the book is closed. We have the full, unabridged, complete word of God. But these kings did not consult the word of God. Didn't have the full Bible as we had it. We had a prophet Elisha. Also had Moses. Other books. But they didn't pay attention to the word of God. And now they're stuck in the middle of nowhere with no water and thousands of men and animals. The application is obvious, isn't it? To ignore the will and wisdom of God revealed in his word is to put oneself in a very dangerous position. And he's, so, he's made himself so accessible to us. He has told us all that we need to know. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. He breathed it out and it's profitable to us. That we might be thoroughly equipped. For every good work, we see the accessibility of God. Secondly, in this passage, we see the mercy of God. Now go back to verse 1. Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel at Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned 12 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and mother, for he put away the sacred pillar of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. He did not depart from them. Now, we see here that Jehoram was not as bad as his parents, Ahab and Jezebel. He wasn't as bad as they were, but he was not good either. Says he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam. You remember Jeroboam? He started the northern kingdom when Israel split the ten tribes to the north, and he set up golden calves and built a couple of idolatrous shrines at Bethel and Dan for the people to worship in the wrong way. While Jehoram 
was not a Baalist like his mother and father, he continued in this idolatry of Jeroboam. As Dr. Ralph Davis says, and he just has a way of making things so plain and pithy, he was not as evil as he could have been, but not as righteous as he should have been. And he foolishly strikes out, leading a huge allied force in the wilderness without consulting the Lord. And now that they're in this mess, he's blaming the Lord for his own mistakes. When he didn't even bring the Lord into the equation when he was making his plans. But now, at Jehoshaphat's bidding, he turns to the prophet. Look at verse 13. Then Elisha said to the king, what have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. But the king of Israel said to him, no, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. You see, Elisha says to the king, go ask the prophets of Baal like your parents did. Don't bother me. I work for the true God. But the king says no. And once again, you see, he blames the Lord for his problems. The Lord has delivered us three kings into the hands of Moab. And look at what Elisha says in verse 14. Elisha said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. But now bring me a musician. Then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. So Elisha says to the king, Jehoram, I would not give you the time of day but for Jehoshaphat. You don't deserve the word of God. You have worshipped other gods before him. You've ignored him and blamed him for what was your own fault. You make me sick. But because there happens to be a good man standing beside you in covenant with you, I will give you the word of God. That's the mercy of God. He treats us so much better than we deserve. But, but note and note it well, that's not all. It's not just that we're awful sinners, but God treats us better than we deserve in the story. That's what was once called cheap grace. 
No, God does not show us mercy simply because we are sinners. He shows us mercy only on the condition of there being a righteous man beside us in covenant with us. There is no mercy for a sinner outside of being in union with Jesus Christ. Now, the terms of treaty between Jehoram and Jehoshaphat were different. That was a political alliance between those two kings. The terms of covenant with Jesus Christ are faith and repentance. Not persist in the same old idolatry and ignoring God. And then hope he bails you out. But turn from it. Turn from it all to Jesus. That's the mercy of God. So we see the accessibility of God. We see the mercy of God. Thirdly, we see the power of God. I wonder if I'm hearing the power of God breaking in this church right now. Must be, can't stop it. Power of God. Look at verse 16. And he said, thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain, yet that valley shall be filled with water, so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. Also, you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city and shall cut down every good tree and stop up every spring of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones. Now, the word of God came to the prophet and he delivered the word. Dig this valley full of ditches. The Lord will give you water. And look at verse 18. He says, it's a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. It's a simple matter. Or it could be translated, this is an easy thing with the Lord. You come because you've run out of water. It's easy for God. He can do a lot more than that. Not only will he fill this wilderness, this valley in the wilderness with water, he will give you the victory, complete victory. Now, it's fascinating how it happened. If you go on to read beginning in verse 20. But what happened was the Lord gave the water, filled the valley with water. 
And it was at the morning, in the morning when the sun was coming up. And the water appeared red in the sunrise from the perspective of the Moabites. They looked out and thought that was blood running in the valley. They thought it was the blood of the Israelites. And they concluded that these three kings and these three armies that were confederated, they must have turned on each other. They killed each other off. So then they went down into the valley to take over and grab the spoil left behind, thinking they were all dead. And then Israel arose and routed them. The Lord did this. He sent the water. He caused the reflection of the sunrise, he sent the confusion to the Moabites. He gave Jehoram so much more than he expected. He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. And this is the God they had ignored when they went into battle. He has all power over nature, over men, even over their minds and thinking. We see the accessibility of God, the mercy of God, the power of God. And fourthly and finally in this passage, we see the uniqueness of God. The uniqueness of God. Look at verse 26. And when the king of Moab saw that the battle was too fierce for him, he took with him 700 men who drew swords to break through to the king of Edom, but they could not. Then he took his eldest son, who would have reigned in his place, and offered him as a burnt offering upon the wall. And there was great indignation against or in Israel. So they departed from him and returned to their own land. When he saw total defeat, the king of Moab did what pagans did. He offered a human sacrifice. He took his oldest son, the heir apparent, the crown prince, and killed him and offered him as a burnt offering upon the wall. That's what pagans did. They would do what they could to try to twist and manipulate and get their gods turned to their side to do what they wanted them to do. And if all else failed, they would sacrifice their own children.
The true God is not like those gods. He's unique. He's a God who can't be twisted. He can't be manipulated or turned. He can't be bought. Not with money. Not with good behavior. Not with human sacrifice. The true God is radically different. Notice it says in verse 27 at the end, there was great indignation against Israel, so they all departed from him and and returned to their own land. There's different interpretations of that, but it likely means that there was indignation in Israel against the human sacrifice. The Israelites, despite all the idolatry they'd had imposed on them, despite the Baalism that Ahab and Jezebel had forced down their throats, despite all of it, they knew enough about their own God to be indignant and repulsed at the abomination of human sacrifice, and they got out of there. But you know, there's an element of truth. Most error is based on some element of truth that's twisted way out of proportion. And there's a little element of truth even in pagan human sacrifice. See, all men have a conscience. And their conscience, even though it's fallen and sinful still works well enough to let them know they're in trouble. God, his wrath is revealed from heaven against the sin of the world. God is angry at sin. And he must be satisfied. But all the other gods of all the other religions will tell you what you have to do to satisfy them. What you must give. Only the true God gave his own son to satisfy his wrath for our sin. This is the true God. He can't be turned or twisted or manipulated. He has all power. He's an accessible God. 
He's a God of mercy who so loved the world that he does not demand we sacrifice children. But he gave his only begotten son. This is a true God. The only true God. And this is the eternal life that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. And how blessed and happy is the man and woman who knows this God and meditates on his word. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.